to you for the first time. I don't know if you, you remember this, but when I showed up on March 1st, I, uh, I was here for two weeks, and then everything went blank. And so this is actually the third time that you've actually physically been in the sanctuary with, at the same time that I have. So, so welcome. My name is Pastor Brad Brookfalk. I am the interim lead pastor here at uh, <clears throat> Hillcrest Covenant Church. And the last six months have seemed like uh, about 60 years of my life. And, and I'm sure that some of you can, can, uh, can feel, feel that way with me. But um, Roxy and I just returned from uh, a little vacation where we uh, took a little 5,000-mile drive out to the islands in the Pacific Northwest. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. But um, we are on the final Sunday of our series of sermons on Summer in the Psalms. So whether you are joining us online or whether you're with us here in the sanctuary, um, feel free to uh, turn to your Bible as I read the scripture or your electronic device or whatever it is that you uh, get your scripture from. If you just simply want to listen, you're welcome to do that as well. So I'm reading from Psalm 150. And it's a short psalm, and uh, if you don't listen, you'll miss it. So here it is. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. Praise him for all of his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his surpassing greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with the lute and the harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with clanging cymbals. Praise him with a loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that breathes praise the Lord. And then as for good measure, the psalmist ends by saying, praise the Lord. Well, we conclude this, uh, this summer series in the Psalms with, I think, a very fitting psalm for today. Our first day back in the building but at the same time, we've had all summer to kind of be introduced to and, um, and think about some of the ways the Psalms can really uh, penetrate into the depths of our, our hearts and our spirits. And, and this Psalm is the last Psalm in the Psalter. It's the last Psalm in our series of Psalms for this um, summer. And this Psalm, if you noticed in my reading it a minute ago, is an exuberant Psalm. It's a psalm where the psalmist is overflowing with gratitude and praise to God. I mean, it's pretty straightforward, in fact. He's not doing a lot of complaining like we've seen in other psalms. He's not asking God for forgiveness like we saw a few weeks ago when Pastor Dory preached from Psalm 51. He is just simply um, overwhelmed with exuberance and in praise of God. And I think that this, this worship that the psalmist is experiencing, and this psalm in particular, um, engenders a, a sense of hope and promise. And so if you ever find yourself in a tough week or tough day, um, <clears throat> remember Psalm 150 and, and just read that before you go to bed or read it in the middle of the day if it's a rough day, and maybe this psalm will have the, the ability to do that for you as well. One commentator uh, on Psalm 150 uh, refers to this psalm as the psalm of hallelujah, or the final hallelujah, actually. When everything is said and done, what the psalmist is, is saying is that the least and last that can be said is, praise the Lord. In this brief psalm, we are provided, I think, with a kind of a roadmap for praise and worship, and this psalmist begins by giving us a context for worship and praise. So a, a context. In other words, where does worship actually take place? 
And then the psalmist describes the method of worship and praise, and we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, How is worship conducted by those who seek to give worship and praise to God? And then finally, the psalmist directs us to a life of worship and praise. In other words, what does worship look like and why does it matter? So let's begin by taking a look at the context for worship and praise. Again, I I, I read it a minute ago, but I just want to capture a couple of phrases from the psalm from the very beginning. He writes, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty firmament, praise him for his mighty deeds, praise him according to his surpassing greatness. The first place that we encounter and praise God, according to the psalmist in this psalm, is in the sanctuary. Sacred space has always been important for worship. From from the earliest times when the people of God wandered in the desert and worshiped in a tent, to the medieval Gothic cathedrals, from the contemporary megachurch to worshiping on the lawn during COVID in 2020, all of these places frame the context for our experience of the presence of God in worship. There's a sacredness, really, to the place where the people of God worship God. A few years ago, if you recall, I don't know, maybe four or five years ago now, um, the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris nearly burned to the ground. And immediately following this, there was this great outcry from all over the world that this historic sacred place needed to be rebuilt in its original form. Do you, do you You remember that? Millions of euros or dollars were contributed in order to make this happen. Now all of the architects and engineers who are working on this project are trying to figure out how to rebuild the cathedral both as a modern structure while at the same time maintain its historic character. And that, as I understand it from engineering friends, is a lot harder than it looks. France is not particularly a religious country, yet the loss of this important religious space, this sacred space, was devastating enough that they committed to rebuilding this sacred space no matter what it would cost, no matter how many years it would take. That, I think, illustrates the the nature of sacred space when we talk about the act of worship. The role of sacred space for our worship can sometimes remind us that when we see familiar elements, for example, a vaulted ceiling like we have here, or or stained glass, or a cross, or a pulpit, or a communion table, or a baptismal font, we are in God's presence. That's what these things are meant to remind us. This is the purpose of sacred space, after all. When we praise God in the sanctuary or on the lawn, we are really acknowledging God's power and presence in our lives on a particular day at a particular time. And this space creates the the context for us to sort of reorder our lives, to seek and, and maybe receive forgiveness from God and from others, to become open to God's work in our world, and to become open to God's work in us. The historic practice of worship in a sanctuary is is not just about a designated worship space like we're in right now. We are also compelled to worship God as we witness God's handiwork in nature, and, and we will see that in a minute in this psalm. The psalmist puts it like this, praise God in his mighty firmament. In other words, praise God when you, when you look out to that star-filled sky 
Praise God when the grandeur of God's creation takes your breath away. Praise God when you recognize the intricacy and the detail of a fallen leaf. And we're going to be seeing more of those as we find ourselves moving into fall, right? Praise God when you look at a blooming flower or the magnificent mountain range cloaked in morning mist. Just like worshiping in a sanctuary, our, our experience of God in creation also compels us to worship and praise God. So what I'm, what I'm in effect saying to you is, yes, there are, there are elements to worshiping in a sanctuary with all of its designated uh, accoutrements that help us worship God, but the psalmist is saying it doesn't just stop there. We can worship God when we see God's handiwork in the world. Roxy and I, as I mentioned a minute ago, just returned from a a road trip to visit family and friends in the Pacific Northwest. We drove our car from Kansas City, Kansas to uh, the San Juan Islands in the Puget Sound region of Washington State. Uh, It was about 5,000 miles. Haven't done that since I was a kid when, you know, mom and dad threw threw me and my sister in the back of the car and and we took off. Along the way, we stopped at the Badlands in South Dakota, Mount Rushmore. We got our obligatory picture with the four guys looking over our shoulders. Um, Custer State Park in South Dakota, which was one of my favorites, by the way. Um, Glacier National Park in Montana. We stopped for a couple days. We visited Mount Rainier National Park in Washington. And then on our way home, we drove through the Grand Tetons. Whether it was a stroll on an easy trail in the woods, like uh, one of the pictures that you see on the screen behind me, or a view of the Pacific Ocean, like one of those other pictures that I uh, have up there, it didn't matter. Being in creation always has a way of sort of resetting my clock. God's creation reminds me that God is much bigger than I am, and and, uh, I'm much smaller in God's grand scheme of things. So um, if you were to ask me on a scale of 1 to 10 how my vacation went, I would say it was stunning. And uh, it reminded me who I am in in the scope of uh, God's creation. So the psalmist is essentially saying, if this is not enough to, to praise God, if this is not enough reason to praise God, then praise God for his mighty deeds. See, in the, in the ancient world, there was this understanding that when two opposing countries engaged in war, the same time that the armies were fighting each other, opposing each other, their respective gods were at war with one another in the heavens. That that was the belief. That was the mindset of that day. And it was believed that success in war, success in a particular fertile crop that that, uh, uh, was being grown, the birth of a child, were the result of God's direct intervention and blessing in their lives. And, And when the psalmist speaks about mighty deeds, this is what he has in mind. When, when good things happen, praise God. When, when there's a reason to celebrate, praise God. Whatever excuse one needs, praise God. That's what the psalmist is saying to us. The context for worship and praise of God is not limited to the sanctuary, although it does take place here or to God's creation, the context of worship and praise, if you want to be honest about this, is all of life. It's not just one hour a week on Sundays. It's not just when we finally have opportunity to return to worship inside the sanctuary. 
We, we probably and should have been worshiping these last six months, regardless of whether or not we could be here. In many ways, all of the controversy about whether we should open up the sanctuary, politics aside for a moment, uh, has revealed, I think, an idolatry in the contemporary evangelical church. In spite of what I've just said to you about the importance of sacred space, and I, and I, I believe that to be true at one level, if COVID has taught us anything, if COVID has taught the church anything, it has taught us that as our worship and our experience of church is not limited to the building. But we as a church have attached ourselves so much to the space. We spend millions of dollars collectively as churches all over the, the country um, making sure our buildings are just right. But I think COVID has said to you, hey folks, um, you don't need that building to still be the church. That's, that's a thought worth pondering in these days as we're re-entering uh, church life. And if the context of our worship and praise is all of life, then we worship and praise God when we rise in the morning and when we retire in the evening, when we sit on our patio with friends, when we have a Zoom meeting with our family scattered all over the, the, the country or all over the world. There's no part of life that is excluded from our worship and praise of God. If the context of our worship and praise is everywhere and at all time, then what's the method? How do we go about this? The psalmist says this. He says, praise him with trumpet sound, praise him with lute and harp, praise him with the tambourine and dance, praise him with strings and pipe, praise him with clanging cymbals, praise him with loud clashing cymbals. I don't know the difference between clanging or loud clashing. They both sound the same to me. But nevertheless, the psalmist is saying, praise God with whatever you got. You see, the method of worship and praise is with musical instruments. It's through bodily movements. It's with quiet instruments like string quartets. And it's like loud instruments like drums and electric guitars. The method of our worship is tactile. It's full-bodied. It's loud. It's soft. Did you know that the organ was not the instrument of the church until the Middle Ages? In fact, prior to the organ, the people of God worshipped with a variety of stringed instruments, uh, and the organ was not among them. Did you know that when the organ was introduced as an alternative instrument in the medieval church, that there were some people who did not like this newfangled instrument being introduced into their already set form of worship? Interesting thought, huh? The method of our worship doesn't stop with manufactured instruments played by trained musicians. No offense, Daniel and the band. The method of our worship includes the human instrument, the voice. Truth be told, the worship and praise of God is, is not really contingent on any particular method or instrument or form. Worship and praise is intricately related to the heart of the worshiper. Let me say that again in case you missed it. Worship and praise is intricately related to the heart of the worshiper. It is the disposition of the worshiper that makes all the difference when it comes to worshiping God. So you can get up in the morning and you can have a bad day and you can come to worship and you can grouse about 
we didn't sing your favorite song or hymn, and the preacher's sermon was sort of mediocre. Or you can get up and go, I'm having a bad day, I need to worship God, and it doesn't really matter what elements uh, need to happen. It's going to be about my frame of mind. Imagine with me for a moment that you are stranded on a desert island and you desire to worship God because you were fortunate enough to wash up on some beach someplace alive. Do you think it's possible to honor God by banging a couple of coconuts or or stones together or or tapping your foot or singing your favorite hymn uh, or song out loud as, as, as loud as you can, even if it's in the wrong key? Of course it is. The method of our worship and praise is whatever is available to us. God is equally honored by our worship, whether it's offered on an organ or in a grand cathedral or delivered by the pounding of a homemade drum on the African savanna. I had a worship leader in one of my previous churches that liked to um, um, use all kinds of instruments when he arranged music for worship on Sunday mornings. And one Sunday, he arranged music using one of those little kid uh, pianos, you know, where you hit the keys and they kind of ting. And, and, and I, I just thought to myself at the time, what in the world are you doing? But he made it work. If the context of our worship and praise is wherever we are, if the, then the method of our worship and praise is everything that reflects the inward disposition of the worshiper, then what does a life of worship and praise actually look like? The psalmist concludes Psalm 150 with this last sentence. Let everything that breathes praise the Lord, praise the Lord. You see, God, God is the giver of our breath, right? You, you understand that? God is the one who blows life into our lungs. God is the one who wired us from the very beginning of time to worship and give praise to God. Therefore, everything that has life, everything that has breath, worships. That's the way we we were wired. Creation proclaims the glory of God even as 100-mile winds sweeps through our southern states. Natural disasters display the remarkable power of God unleashed in in wind and waves. And and when we see that, in spite of the the devastation that happens and the the sadness that perhaps people's lives are lost, we we, we ought to step back and, 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 and take pause as we see the work of God, the power of God around us which would lead us to fall on our knees and worship. So how do we do that? Those who have breath, praise, and glorify God by living their lives with the recognition that God is present all the time. Those who have breath, those who have a heartbeat, offer praise and glory to God by engaging in their normal routine of life with a sense of humility and the understanding that our lives are ultimately a gift from God. Psalm 150 reminds us that our task is to praise and worship God until our last breath. And I told the congregation earlier outside that I hope that when I'm toward the end of my life, I'm on hospice and my loved ones are gathered around my bed 
that the last thing that they hear me do is sing my favorite worship song. I don't know if I'll have that opportunity, but I hope I do. So how can we begin to live these kinds of uh, hallelujah lives that uh, I described a minute ago? Lives that are richly informed by our recognition of God's presence in the good and the bad and the ugly. Because life is filled with all those things, right? Most of them at any one time. Let me offer you some suggestions uh, for taking this psalm with you this week. The first suggestion I want to make about how we can incorporate worship into our life on a regular basis is live more fully. Experience the breadth of God's love both in the sanctuary here and in creation. Go out on your deck tonight if it's a clear evening and look up at the stars if you, if you can, if there are stars to be seen from where you live. And, and just acknowledge and recognize that God is the creator of even that. Don't make worship political. That's not what this is about. This is about recognizing our place in the scope of God's creation. All of us are small and insignificant in the scheme of things, and that's what should move us to worship. So the first thing that we can do then is live life more fully. Second thing we can do is we can laugh more frequently. That sounds odd to hear me say that. What? Worship is about laughter? Yes, it is. If you want to laugh, try to learn a new instrument as an adult. <laughs> Sing at the top of your lungs in the shower without concern for whether your singing is in tune for the people who live in the apartment next door to you, like I do. You want to laugh, take dance lessons. Better yet, dance just because you feel like it. When, when, you, when we laugh, I believe God laughs with us. Hold on to your life and possessions loosely, folks. Laughter is the, is the beginning of worship. Third, look and listen for evidence of God's presence in your life. You know, it's easy to fall into a rut, I know, where we experience God in worship and it's constrained by, by the way that we've always done it. Yes, 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 I know. Sometimes we attempt to worship with the weight of the world on our shoulders. And, and even then, um, it's, we're, it's possible that we can worship God. Look for opportunities in your life to worship and praise God for no particular reason whatsoever. Pay attention to the power and the presence of God in your life and allow your heart to overflow, overflow with gratitude. And when we do all of these things, we will begin to lead lives of worship and praise to God, whether it's in the sanctuary or on the lawn. When we begin to live, laugh, and look, our God for our God, our worship will not be confined to a time or a place, but it will fill every part of our lives. And when we acknowledge God's place in our lives in worship, our worship will look and sound a lot like what the psalmist is talking about in this psalm this morning. Don't you find it interesting that uh, we've gone through the entire book of Psalms and obviously we, we haven't hit all of them, but we've hit enough of them for you to see that the Psalms are a very diverse and varied uh, group of, of texts 
And at the very end, the last psalm, the psalmist wants us to understand. The, the, the psalm that we walk away from the psalms with is a psalm about praise and worship to God. I don't know where you find yourself today with regard to um, the challenges that you face in your life. Maybe you're facing health concerns that you um, didn't, weren't facing when we went into this COVID thing. Maybe uh, your job is more insecure now than, than uh, it's ever been. Maybe you're looking for a job right now. Maybe relationships in your family are strained because you and family members don't hold the same uh, points of view about uh, how some of these issues should be resolved. It doesn't matter who you are and what place you find yourself in. I want to give you uh, a piece of advice. It's the same advice that the psalmist presents to us today. Um, when all else fails, praise God.